the image of gold and the blazing furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, Sither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, scyther, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, scyther, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Thank you. It's, uh, I was reading during the week about the literary qualities of the book of Daniel. Yes, there are some fantastic and relevant doctrinal, theological matters discussed in the book of Daniel. But if you like the way things are written and you like um, drama, there's probably no better writing than Daniel 3 for suspense, excitement, fear, and the literary abilities of the writer match those of what it's actually speaking about in terms of God and the way we worship. So it was, I found that quite uh, encouraging during the week because sometimes when we look at scripture we say it's the inspired word of God and we look at the meaning in it, but sometimes we miss just how beautifully it's written as well. So I encourage you, if you like that sort of thing, go and have a look at Daniel 3 and look at the way it's written as well as what it's saying. So we began tonight... Um, by talking about love, didn't we, and sealed with a loving kiss, um, and those little things that you write on the outside of envelopes. Um, love is powerful. It makes us do things, sometimes stupid things, um, sometimes brave and courageous things. And Daniel's three friends um, had a love for their God. And We don't know much about their growing up, but I guess they must have learned a lot about him. And from that knowledge grew a very strong love. But here they are in Daniel 3, and their love is challenged. Couldn't resist putting the picture of the VeggieTales on there. You must fall down and worship, or you'll be thrown into a blazing furnace. That love letter that we read earlier by the actor, Dave to Sue, I wonder how Dave's love for Sue would cope if another girl came after his affection. Would he be firm and say, no, 
It's Sue I'm committed to. Or would he go, actually, I'm quite flattered. Where's his commitment? How strong is his love when it's challenged? So in the book of Daniel, in chapter 3, everyone else was bound to this statue. Anybody that was anyone, that long list of prefects, satraps, and so on, all the people were bowing to this statue. So what was their response? Well, it's a familiar story. They said, we won't. And if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, you can see that there. The God we serve is able to deliver us. They had confidence in their God. But, and this is the clincher verse in the whole of chapter 3, and in some ways the whole of Daniel in my view, even if he doesn't save us from this, we won't. Wow, there's some commitment. The three, the three friends, they didn't know, this is pretty obvious, what the outcome would be. Although they probably had a pretty sure idea. <laughs> Surviving the furnace was humanly impossible. Completely impossible, surely. A furnace of itself, surely, but this one was heated more than normal. Now, loving has consequences. This was a dangerous stand for them to make. But it was driven, I would say, by their strong love of God. Like the little heart there. Strong love of God. Love for God. Refusing to bow to another. So their actions were the result, I think, of something going on deep within them. Just like Dave wrote that letter. Something deep within he wanted to write, but his commitment was a little bit weak. But here, these three friends were driven by something deep within. Well, we read what happened next on this particular occasion in history. King Nebuchadnezzar, these three friends, a hot furnace. And God, in his perfect wisdom, intervenes. But it was a showdown of power. A lot of Daniel is about power. Nebuchadnezzar expressing his power, and we've looked at that um, in previous weeks, haven't we? But this was a bit of a wake-up for King Nebuchadnezzar, and a glimpse of God's power and a glimpse of the future, perhaps, as well. God intervenes. Over history, it's true to say that many have died taking a stand, like Daniel's three friends did, for the God they love and the God they worship. And this morning, Neil spoke to us about heaven. And our hope is that they are with their Lord in glory, worshipping him, the fulfilment of their love for him. They took a stand and God didn't intervene, and they died. In this case, there was something demonstrated to King Nebuchadnezzar that in God's perfect wisdom, he decided to intervene and to show his power. You've got your Bibles open in verse 25. What was it Nebuchadnezzar said? Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks 
like a son of the gods. I imagine he was terrified. I mean, the people that had thrown them in, some of those had died without even going in the furnace. It was so hot. And he saw four in the furnace. Son of the gods, all eternities in God's hands, and Nebuchadnezzar gets a clear message of where real power lies. So this is undoubtedly an exciting story. And it would be easy to look at the three friends of Daniel and go, I need to aspire to that. I've got to conjure something up within me to be like that. But you might feel that it's very different to where you are today. If you were challenged in that way, and in this country I don't think that happens very often here, anything like it. In other parts of the world there are things more similar. But you might feel it's very different to where you are today. You might have lots of questions You might be saying, if you're honest with yourself, actually, I'm not that committed to God. You might still be searching. You might not have made a commitment to the Lord. You might be trying to work things out yourself, think it through. That might be where you are. So what I thought would be good for the second half of this talk tonight is to, rather than looking at our own, perhaps, lack of love, our doubts, our questions, let's turn our attention towards this God of love. I'd just like to share a couple of thoughts with you. Dave and Sue in their relationship, we don't know much about them. They're probably learning a bit about each other. Sue's just learnt something new about Dave. (laughs) Doesn't like the rain. These three friends in the story of Daniel are learning about their God and have been throughout their lives. And our relationship with God is similar. Except he already knows all about you. So we're learning about him, but he already knows everything about you. And he fully understands you. And he fully understands all mysteries of the world. The human soul. Eternity. Heaven, like we heard this morning. But you're just beginning to find out about him. And some of us have been on that journey for many years. Some of you may feel you've just taken one step in that journey and you've got lots of questions and you feel that you don't know him. So wherever you find yourself tonight, please consider this. The love that these three friends had for their God is a beautiful thing, without question. Such commitment and single-mindedness, such devotion... But what was it, do you think, that drew such love from them? Or should I say, who was it? I said earlier that love is powerful and it makes us do things. Well, God's love is shown in many ways by what he does. Supremely, it's shown in the sending of Jesus. And I was reading something this week about the relationship between the Father and the Son in the sending of Jesus. And you could think that it's God the Father saying, actually, can you go and do this work for me? And Jesus going, okay, if you say so, I'll go. That would be a wrong and distorted view of the relationship between the Father and the Son. 
They were completely together and one in purpose. The command of the Father, the obedience of Christ, together. It was a beautiful, um, balanced thing going on. If you love, it might make you do things. The Father and the Son working in perfect harmony. God sending Jesus. That verse we had up earlier from 1 John, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So as I draw to an end, I just want to emphasise something here which has been a challenge to me and I hope it will be to you. If you have little love for God, if you would have just bowed down to the statue and copied everyone else, if you lack the drive in your heart to love God, and that's real honesty, isn't it? If we can look in and say, maybe that's how I feel and how I am. Can I encourage you to seek a greater understanding of the heart of the Christian faith. There are many places that you could start, but here's a challenge for us. I'd like you to look at the meaning of a particular word. It's a word which has depth and breadth beyond many others. It's a word which captures something of the wonder of God, a word which you can dive into and never quite reach the bottom It's a word that those of you that know Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and hold him in high regard as a um, a renowned and unrivaled leader after the Second World War in the church, it's a word that he was challenged on after preaching in Bridgend in South Wales. And someone said, I think you need to go away and just get back to the heart of the Christian faith. He hadn't said anything wrong, but he was challenged by the, the, the pastor of that church. And he went back and he looked at his word. And I just want to read you a little bit from a book from John Stott. He returned home and he gave himself to study around this word, which I'll mention in a minute. Declining both lunch and tea and causing his wife such anxiety that she telephoned her brother to see whether a doctor should be called. But when he later emerged... He claimed to have found, in quotes, the heart of the gospel and the key to the inner meanings of the Christian faith. It was a word which leads to the cross of Christ. The word is atonement. Now, some of you might not have ever heard that word. Others of you understand that word in in great depth, the word atonement. But here's the challenge. If you're feeling that your love is weak for God and you think, I I would have just bowed like the others. I wouldn't have stood up for it. My heart feels weak. I'm not sure I love God. This word, if you look in the Bible and find what it means, it will affect you. 
John Stott, when he was speaking in the same book about the atonement, said, Moved by the perfection of his holy love, God in Christ substituted himself for sinners. Moved by the perfection of his holy love, God in Christ substituted himself for sinners. The cross transforms everything. A new worshipping relationship to God, a new and balanced view of ourselves. It achieved great things. It saved sinners, revealed God, conquered evil. And this is just the opening of the door when you start looking at the meaning of this word. In that verse we read earlier, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. So I'm not expecting us who never heard the word tonight, maybe some of the younger ones here will know what it means to suddenly now feel you know it. This is the start of a journey maybe for you. And I encourage you to take some time over the coming days and weeks and months and years to look at this word. I think it will change your view of God and it will change your view of yourself. And as you pray to him and think about these things, a love of gratitude will spring from within your soul that will bow to another God, to no other God. Let's pray together. Father, the mystery of the cross of Jesus is something we cannot ever fully understand. Yet we know that it expresses...